And we welcome you in on a Wednesday edition of Sports Talk. I am Scott Beatty along with Lauren Tate. A two-hour program here dedicated to mostly Illini sports and a little bit of other items as well. Area preps, area pro teams of interest as well. We're so glad you're with us. As always, you can join the program with anything on your mind on our Castle Heating and Cooling text line, which is 217-351-5357. And whenever we have time, we can squeeze in a call, 217-356-9397. Uh, got some items to catch up on with football. It's a Wednesday. Feels like a Thursday in the college football cycle this week because Illinois will play Friday night. So we heard from Bet Bielma today for the final time this week uh, as a, a in an assembled media before Friday night's football game, but he does have his radio show tonight live at Papa Dell's. That'll be at 7 p.m. We also have Colin Likas, who will stop by, the News Gazette preps editor, and it's the season debut tonight of the Serve Pro Football Prep Prep Football Confidential Program. That comes up at 6. So basically, you've got sports here all the way till 8 o'clock. Nope, I take that back even beyond, because then we'll join up the White Sox tonight in progress against Kansas City at 8 o'clock at Whatever they're inning they're in. Stop. We um we we're we're just leaning in to sports. We love What's it. What's on your mind, Scott? What's on your mind? Mine my, my mind is football and mm-hmm. the fact that I think this will be an interesting game, but don't know what to expect from Indiana. We're gonna talk with Zach Osterman coming up from the Indianapolis Star and see what he has to say about the Hoosiers. Don't you think they're a little bit of a cornered dog? Oh yeah, uh, and, yeah, and yeah. I don't Eight know how, losses. That's a lot. Eight in a row. Don't know how that plays but into. That's last year. This is a different team, and boy, is it different. All those transfers. I, <laughs> I say it every week, but the transfers are amazing. Wyoming had a whole batch of them. Now we come against Indiana with a batch of them. Yeah. So, it, how do you encapsulate what Indiana is? You can't. You're just you're just guessing. Kind of the felt feel like there's some people feel like this is a pretty good quarterback they got in Bazelak. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a regular at Missouri. Yeah. But, you know, what does that mean? What does that mean against in Indiana? This is just one of those games you just have to sit back and go, well, we'll see what happens. I just like, based on how Illinois' first week of play went defensively, I like Illinois' chances to keep this a close game, if not win it. I I really like Illinois' pass defense. I like Illinois' secondary especially well and I think as long as you can keep those guys healthy uh, Witherspoon and Martin especially and 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 Brown I those guys are really good and that if you go back in Illinois history the last 10 20 years they never they just didn't make plays in the secondary very often there were very few interceptions and and there was only one interception Saturday against Wyoming but at least uh, they had the one and it was a great return by Witherspoon, who kind of gave you an idea just what his athleticism is when he ran down that sideline. He made some great moves. And his football acumen is supposedly off the charts as well, according mm-hmm. to his head, his defensive coordinator, uh, Ryan Walters, really likes him. And, of course, Quan Martin's been really good here so far. And, hey, we're seeing Illinois' 
we're seeing Lovey Smith's ability to identify secondary talent pay off with the the guys that have made fifty three man rosters in the last couple of years. Tony yeah, Adams yeah, just Adams did today. That and was Kirby, amazing. And Kirby Joseph, he wasn't even drafted. Yeah, not to take away from you know what what Bielma's done, and obviously he had to coach him too and his crew. But I'll, I'll say it again: Lovey Smith could spot in particular. The secondary, but also at linebacker, he could spot talent. And I know you have some concerns about the future recruiting right now as it stands. And I I, wonder, too. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think recruiting's been good the whole time. I don't think the recruiting's been good. The reason Illinois hasn't done better is because recruiting is poor. Mm -hmm. Well, That was true all along, and we haven't proven anything yet. I agree. No, I'm just saying the, it's not a finished deal yet for the future with Bielma on the recruiting yeah. front. That's all I'm saying. Well, but, I, And I, I agree there wasn't enough in the cupboard for the future when Lovey was here. All I'm saying is how he much had some good it, players. How much of the success of the defense is, is Ryan Walters as opposed to Lovey? Lovey's got a much greater reputation. He's been a professional coach he's uh, he's been a great defensive coordinator before he was a head coach professionally he's uh, he's been known but i walters came in here and turned that thing around yep i would and, say and, but i would say lovey got some good pieces here it just wasn't working functionally together as, schematically at least yeah the way walters has got it and then i think walters has probably provided a little spark and a, and a way of developing guys a little bit you know yeah. what impressed me about the is the fact that he he doesn't write things down. It's all in his head. I thought that when Bielma brought that up to me, I thought that's really interesting because I write everything down. I know that's the opposite <laughs> of you. Although there's a lot in your head. Well, but no, I I find that I remember things better when after I write them down. Mm-hmm. If if you're talking to me and I'm interviewing you, for example, if I write down the if I make notes, if, if I don't tape you and I just make notes, I do I remember it better. Mm-hmm. But he, he's one of these guys that he doesn't need notes. It's all in his head. He's, he's got a photographic memory, I think. And he, he's really been a, a, a boon to this program. There's no question. That, uh, and Bielema being a defensive coach himself. I mean, the thing that gives me encouragement is the fact that the, the defense is better. They've got some tremendous inter- interior line player. We don't know about the edges and the linebackers yet, but the secondary – and the interior line play looked like they're going to be excellent. Ryan Walters was identified today on a list, taken mm-hmm. for what you will, by Bruce Feldman of The Athletic as mm-hmm. assistants to watch to be future head coaches. See that the uh, Tennessee offensive coordinator? <laughs> no. Yeah, he's a former line eye coach. Yeah, Mike, oh, oh, Goalish, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he, he was, was special teams. State for, Wasn't excuse he, me. Didn't he do special teams here, too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, when he was here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and it's look, I mean, Brett Bielma has said it repeatedly, unprompted. Uh, others have been asked about it. Ryan Walters, it apparently has the makeup, and he's putting together a resume to be a head coach. Mm-hmm. Probably some refining of certain things that you and I couldn't necessarily identify, but maybe he needs some. He's only 36 years old. My question is, Is what is his first head coaching job? Is it down to an FCS? Is it to a, a lower-tier FBS school? 
uh, is his pathway to a Power Five program. And mm-hmm. how? I mean, there there's going, only there could be an opening in Lincoln here by October. All right, mm-hmm. so <laughs> I, I I don't know that he's here after this year. Yeah, well, I I think he'll be here another year or so, but I. I think that he's a di- he's a difference maker, yeah. and, y- and you need those kind of guys. And I think that uh, again, the reason I the reason I have such hope for Illinois is, uh, this year is that we've already seen they've moved. If you go look back at year after year, Illinois ranked real low in pass defense, and so many games we would go out there, and it just seemed like the the cornerbacks were paying so far off the receivers. All they had to do is run run out and turn around and catch a pass. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was bad. And again, we, uh, if you just look at the number of interceptions Illinois had in all those years past, they didn't have many. They weren't aggressive enough. I th- what, what you're going to see in this game, and we, we're hearing it from several sources now, Allen is the head coach at Indiana. He's going to call the defensive plays, and he is a, I don't want to use the word gambler, but he's very aggressive. He's willing to take a hit on a big play in order to make some behind-the-line stops. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see people coming from different places blitzing that you did not see in the Wyoming game. We've got a new line that will have to be alert to the fact that the man in front of them or the man on, off on their shoulder may not be the one they have to block because there may be somebody coming right at them. And there definitely were miscommunications on the offensive line this past week. Some bad some 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 real mistakes. Yeah. No question. Look, anytime a guy comes in virtually untouched into the backfield, it's usually a miscue on the offensive line, mm-hmm. a miscommunication. Yeah. And you have a unit that has never played together like this. And they they pointed it out. So I mean what are you gonna do? You can't make them uh you know, like they've been doing playing together for four years all of a sudden. It's just it is what it is. But well, the offensive unit's gonna be tested un- unlike anything we saw in the Wyoming game but from that standpoint. I did like Tony Tommy DeVito's uh pocket presence or uh, awareness. I thought there was a a couple of plays where he stayed with it long enough or sidestepped where I felt in the past the quarterback would have just bailed or made a poor throw. I don't know. I'm I'm not convinced yet that he's any better than Peters. I'm not sure. I think he's a little better. I okay. I, I know you said I, that, and I just well, I th- I, I, I'm going off one game. I'm going off one game. I mean, that was a game that any quarterback we've had in the last ten years would have won. Fair or twenty years, Fair. or thirty years. I mean, any this this wasn't a this was a this was a Wyoming team that this came in and played vanilla and took its lumps and and went home. I mean, they there when you ha- again when you have thirty three. Out of the forty-four players in the two deep, are freshmen and sophomores. Yep. That's that's awfully young. Yeah, I, I'm fair, and, and I'm not here and to by crown the way, Indiana to... defensively is a lot older yep. than Wyoming was, and they they've got a lot of new people, and those people are not young. I mean, the the, the new people are transfers. <laughs> they do, by the way, have some really outstanding freshmen, though. They had a good recruiting year. Yep. Uh, Brett Bielman had his update for us today. Uh, of course, Josh McCray is one of the questions in his status. So here's what Coach Bielman had to say. It's not a season-ending injury, but it's just a little bit about how he uh, handles certain stressors and certain things as his body gets a little bit better, right? So I don't. I, it won't be uh, before uh, our first bye week for sure. So kind of just a work in progress as we come on the backside. Uh, the other guy, Sean Miller, unfortunately, won't be with us this week. He's still going through some evaluation. Uh, looking at different options that are available to him. Um, 
not really able to comment fully on, on how long uh, he'll be out, but I just know he won't be involved in this week's plan. So uh, we did gain a couple, though. Uh, Aiden Lawfrey, uh, who we planned on attended and, and repped all fall camp, will be back with us uh, a full go this week. He'll be involved in our plans. Um, uh, another freshman that that uh, has been very impressive since he got here. We had him last spring and, and, and like what he brings to the table, especially in the running back room, obviously with Josh in this week's game plan uh, to gain another body. But I will tell you that uh, Chase Hayden and, and Reggie uh, probably had the best week of preparation to this point um, since I've been here with those guys. So I think to, to know that they're into that rotation, to know that they're going to be involved in the game plan has really helped their confidence and not only their confidence, the coach's confidence around them. So excited to see him. Really nobody else uh, that that uh, didn't play in the first game that we'll see. I think guys might play more just because we like the results of what we saw. Uh, maybe a little bit more rotation at certain positions. So there's some of the thoughts. Uh, Josh McRae, sounds like don't count on him anytime soon. Well, I don't think you'll see him September, maybe not October. Maybe it be, may, could be late October, but uh, we'll see about it. He's, he's got a knee injury, and it's got to you know, take a while to recover. Well, we felt like the Illini running back room had some depth, but there's nobody that quite mimics him except maybe the freshman Jordan Anderson, but they're not ready to play him yet. They don't even mention him, do they? Nah. Not really. Uh, one of the interesting things to me is a, is to talk about, and, and I see it sometimes in uh, Chase Brown in that he uh, doesn't rush into the place when he gives the blockers time to form. That was Love's problem. Love's got speed, but he uses it, he did use it immediately regardless of what was in front of him. In other words, he, he needs to just kind of gauge his opportunities better and it looked like maybe he was doing that in that first game which wasn't the case a year ago players will talk about the game slowing down obviously Mm -hmm. it doesn't actually slow down but in your mind it slows down because you can process more and see what openings are going to develop and take advantage of that and we saw that a couple of times with chase brown that he got bigger yards because he just waited a beat for the gap to form and he could see what's happening and then i don't know how you get that except by experience and maybe that's what you get there with Reggie Love now. And, of course, Chase Hayden has been playing football for a while, so you would think that he has some ability to have some vision. But there's no bruiser. I understand that Chase Brown's not an easy guy to bring down, but Josh McCray is almost like a fullback or a linebacker. Well, yes, he's, he's like a fullback, there's no doubt. Yep. But this will be a defensive battle, Scott. Yeah. I, I see a defensive battle, and I, I if, it'd be great if Illinois can get three or four touchdowns. That'd be wonderful, but I – I don't know if there's going to be that. I think it's, I think Illinois will be able to hold them within reason and hopefully score enough to win. My concern on that is the the mistakes that were made against Wyoming uh, are the kinds that could lose you close games, mm-hmm. a couple of key penalties or missed field goals or, or or what have you. So hopefully some of that gets cleaned up for the Illini's sake. All right, how about the perspective from the Indiana side of things? Zach Osterman from the Indianapolis Star. He will join us next on Sports Talk. Colin will check in with us, too, before this hour is up. But right now it is time to check in with our friend Zach Osterman. He writes for the Indianapolis Star as Illinois and Indiana will play Friday night. Our pregame coverage begins at 5 p.m. Of course, you got Sports Talk here starting at 4, and we'll have the postgame coverage as well. Zach joining us from Indianapolis. Zach, thanks so much for being here. We always appreciate it. Thanks for having me, as always. 
your colleague David Woods uh, paid us a visit today from from the Indy Star. Of course, this used to be his stomping ground, so it, it almost feels like we're just in an extension of Indianapolis today. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll I'll be the undercard anytime Woodsy's in the building, but I'll do my best to uh, keep everybody entertained until the headline act is on the stage. <laughs> well, I was offered a job there once <laughs> a million years ago, <laughs> you know and what? I almost went. <laughs> You catch me on the right day, I'll offer you mine. You know, when, I'm, <laughs> when I'm renting a car in Cedar Rapids to drive back to the airport in Indianapolis because my flight to Detroit is delayed by eight hours. Yo, man. <laughs> Can you imagine Lauren Tate covering Bobby Knight? <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob Bob Collins was the uh, was the sports editor at that time. You've probably heard that name, Zach, I assume. Oh, yeah. And uh, we were good friends for a while. And anyway, it didn't happen, but it was close. Well, there's a football game on Friday night that uh, a lot of attention is going to, at least for these two programs. There's a lot riding on it for for various reasons, Zach. How much tension, if you will, do you sense around this game? I think there's a lot in Bloomington, and I think that comes from a variety of places. Number one, obviously, the way last season went. And and not just that Indiana struggled last season. It's not like Indiana fans haven't seen, just to be, be blunt, a bad Indiana football team before. But in a season where they were allowed, even encouraged, to sort of expect a lot more to see the the bottom fall out so completely, you know, trust and angst and apathy are all have all spiked in Bloomington or, or lack of trust, I should say. As you'd imagine, after the way last season went, a lot has turned over for Indiana. Five new coaches on staff, close to three dozen new players in the program, a lot of very familiar faces finished their Indiana careers after last season, careers that you know, before last season and and really even including last season had been very successful in Bloomington, but all that sort of transition and all of that, um, all of that change led Tom Allen to kind of close the doors on a lot of his off season. For the first time in all my time on this beat, we were not allowed into any of spring practice. All availability was conducted over zoom. We have seen, you know, bits and pieces in the fall. um, But there's been a real desire to kind of, do all their work behind the scenes this off season. And then there's also just specific to this game. It is one of those games that I think we see not to do either program down too much, but we see the Indiana's, the Illinois, the Purdue's, the Maryland's and so forth of the big 10 play each year that sort of, if you win it, it can be a springboard to, you know, having a really good season to maybe be in six and six, seven and five, maybe dreaming a little bit bigger. If you lose it, you start to feel, especially in Indiana's case, because this is their opener, you sort of feel like, well, geez, if, if, if we can't win this game at home, then this season looks like it's going to be a real slog. And so I think there's, from a lot of different directions, there is a lot of tension for this game Friday night uh, on Indiana's side. I don't know why you'd think it would be a slog with a loss. You only got Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State on your schedule. <laughs> but if you look at Indiana's schedule this year, and it's hard, again, to know what to expect of Indiana given how little we've seen of them and how much has changed and just, you know, quite frankly, how b- beneath expectations they performed last year. But they only play one of the one of the big four in the East in their first eight games. And then they play three of the four in their last four games, plus obviously the bucket game, you know, rivalry game, Purdue should be good this year. You don't know what to expect there. The point is, if you're Indiana, there is kind of an opportunity here if you have been able to fix a lot of your issues, plug a lot of your holes. If you can win on Friday night, if you can find your way toward maybe winning one of your first two road games, Cincinnati or Nebraska, you know, there's a path to five wins by the middle of October. 
and then suddenly you're not feeling that pressure. And at very least, you have regained a certain sense of competitiveness from a program that between 2013 and 2020 only failed to win five games at a, at a minimum once. And from 2015 to 2020, Indiana either went to a bowl game or finished five and seven and went into the bucket game five and six with a chance to qualify for the postseason every single year. Indiana had really raised its competitive floor. And I think that's what made 2021 feel so so painful for IU fans, frankly, is that it wasn't just that 2020 and obviously what was a really successful season during the COVID year for Indiana came out of nowhere. There was a long period of sort of building toward at least being a much better, much more competitive football team before 2020 to see all of that just kind of collapse last year, I think is what was so jarring for IU fans. And if you're Indiana, at very least, I think a successful season this year requires you to recapture that sense of always being competitive and always being a tough out, even if you're not always in a bowl game. If you're going to do that, you have got to take advantage of a schedule that, while you can't really take any game for granted when you went 0-9 in the Big Ten last year and you only scored multiple offensive touchdowns in one Big Ten game all season, first seven, eight weeks of the schedule are a lot more manageable than the last four, and you've kind of been given – You've been given an opportunity to maybe be, you know, masters a little bit here. You've got to see that. Zach Osterman with us from the Indy Star. Yeah, I'd like to know uh, what you expect uh, attendance-wise and, and where do you think Indiana fans are right now based on what happened last year with the last eight losses and, and you know, and just how, how you think that's going to work out the Friday night. They say they're expecting a crowd in the 40s. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Friday night, and, you know, of course – between students and, and, and fans, you know, Indiana fans are, are kind of famous for being there at kickoff, maybe not sticking all the way through. I, I believe them that they've at least sold, you know, tickets in the 40s for this game. If they get everybody in the stadium, I think that'll be a win. But then you've got to, I mean, I, I don't want to say I've never seen this fan base sort of more apathetic because I probably have, but I've certainly never seen it less trusting. And again, I think a lot of that comes from, I've said this, this has kind of become my stock line this offseason. Indiana football fans are not, it's not like, they are used to disappointment. That's not new to them. It's the kind of disappointment that they endured last year where, again, four bowls in six years, Gator Bowl in 2019, six and two in 2020, you know, within, you know, frankly, a, a hair's breadth of winning the Big Ten East. And being allowed, I don't think a lot of Indiana, I don't think the majority of Indiana fans thought they were going to go to the playoff or anything like that, but being allowed to believe that you had a a really tough competitive football program that was going to go out and compete with some of the top teams in the conference and, you know, could have some big Saturday nights. And and remembering, too, that, you know, that 2020 season, fans didn't get to participate in that. They weren't in the stands. And so it was sort of a feeling of, you know, getting some of those moments, the win over Penn State, the win over Michigan, but being able to be in the stadium for them. Right. And they lost all that. And, yeah. and, and again, it, it wasn't just that they went five and seven. The, the bottom came out of the tub. So having this game early, at very least, kind of sets the terms of the season for Indiana. If you can get a good crowd in there and you can give them a good game and give them a win, maybe you start on the road to winning some of that back because then you've got Idaho – in Western Kentucky at home, two games that you probably need to win. I know Western Kentucky, you know, kind of specializes in being difficult for Power Five teams, but you need to you need to be able to start. Free. If you can beat Illinois, you need to start three and zero. You need to be able to win those next two games. Then you can start to rebuild some of that trust. 
But if you struggle Friday night, if you lose Friday night, I, I think you lose them kind of in perpetuity. Let's talk about Allen real quick because I understand he's calling the plays. Has he done this before defensively? He's a defensive mind, I know, and uh, I know he has a defensive co- new defensive coordinator, but uh, he's calling the plays, huh? Yeah, so he did for his first two seasons as head coach. Obviously, he was defensive coordinator for a year in Bloomington before he got the head coaching job, and he continued to call plays on defense for the two years, uh, for his first two years as head coach. He stepped away in 2019, and he said that basically it had just gotten to be too much for him essentially being defensive coordinator and being head coach. He was working too much. He was sleeping in his office. He wasn't at his best. Um, he's stepping back in now because there is a real sense that Indiana defensively got away from what he wants them to be last year. And there's a variety of ways he's kind of talked about that from, you know, some of the coverages they were playing, the, the lack of what you call havoc plays, tackles to loss, sacks, turnovers, those kinds of things that, that Indiana really produced by taking some chances and being willing to, to, to get burned every once in a while to take those chances to create those big plays. Um, I do think there are some differences in structure um, Chad Wilt, his new defensive coordinator, I think he's still putting more – he's giving Wilt more responsibility and more of the workload than what he was giving his defensive staff when he was calling plays the first time. Um, you know, it, it's also worth saying when he was calling plays in 2017 and 2018, he hired Kane Womack, and he basically admitted in 2019 that he knew 2018 would be a very sort of a real transition year for his defense. He was going to, have to play a lot of young players and the defense was going to struggle and he didn't want Womack to have to wear that. He didn't want Womack to have to basically be a first year defensive coordinator through all of that transition. So he basically set it up to hand it off to him in 2019. I don't know if he's doing anything similar with Chad Wilt, but at least it's not quite the same dynamic. Wilt is going to have a heavier workload and Allen, I think is not going to try and take so much on as basically coordinator and head coach at the same time. But I think he's putting his hands back on the wheel defensively because Indiana, the more he broke it down, the more he felt like Indiana strayed away from what he wanted it to be defensively. And obviously this is very much his system, and and it has been very successful in the past at Indiana on defense. He wants kind of both hands back on that now to get Indiana back to playing the kind of defense that, that he envisions and that, he thinks can be successful at IU. Zach Osterman, Indy Star, with us. How about the uh, the quarterback? Well, is there any reason to believe Connor Bazalak won't be the starter on Friday night? You know, they've done an admirable job of keeping it quiet. Um, I think everyone sort of presumes it's Bazalak, um, the, the Missouri transfer. You know, in what we have been able to see of the preseason, and, you know, you're not always sure exactly, you know, you're watching, you can be watching 11 on 11 scrimmage type situations, but, it, you know, they can be focusing on a certain sort of thing that isn't necessarily giving you a full picture of what the quarterbacks are trying to do. Given what we've seen in the preseason, um, it does feel like Bazelak's skills fit more of what Allen is, is talking about in terms of his timing, his accuracy. You know, I think Alan used a phrase recently. I think it was, um, I think it was the, you know, he throws a very catchable ball, and I think this is going to be an offense that really relies on that timing and that that sort of ability to just just be really regular and really consistent. I think that's another thing Indiana got away from last year, although that was partly just because by the end of the season they had three scholarship quarterbacks injured. Um, but we don't know for sure, and Jack Tuttle has undeniably had his moments. In, in the pre 
some really good some really good throws. He's changed his body a little bit. Um, if you're asking me, you know, to handicap it, I, I would, you know, if you said here's 50 bucks, put it on whoever you think is going to start. I would put it on Bazelak. I would probably do that without a lot of reservation. Um, but if it's Jack Tuttle that trots out for that first offensive series, I won't be shocked just because I think that the gap is smaller there than maybe what a lot of people would have expected when Bazelak transferred to Indiana in the offseason. All in all, um, this kind of looks like a toss-up game. Maybe that's because so many people have said just what you said, don't know what to expect out of Indiana. And frankly, Illinois uh, didn't have to show everything either in their win over Wyoming for a, a variety of reasons. So I'm intrigued. I think this could be a, a very interesting ball game. I, I think that's fair. And I think it's, I mean, again, I, I've seen, I've kind of seen this go both ways with some teams in the past. Um, I remember in 2011, Indiana hosted Virginia, and it was a, a back and it was week two, I think, and it was a back and forth game. And Virginia eventually won it on a field goal. Indiana finished one and eleven. Virginia, I think, finished like eight and four, or eight and five. Then I think the 2016, when Indiana hosted Michigan State, and that felt like a big swing game for both teams. Indiana won it in overtime. Indiana finished six and six. Michigan State didn't go to a bowl. It, it, you feel like you put too much on a game when you say that sort of like whoever loses this game can't go to a bowl and whoever wins this game is basically charting their course to a, you know, a, 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 a sort of a gilded season. And they're going to, they're going to be in a bowl game and December's going to be wonderful and all that. But it, it does, I think both of these programs ultimately build a lot of their bowl seasons. Some of them are special. Some of them are different, but a lot of, a lot of the seasons where programs like these, to especially where they are currently under their current head coaches. These are the kinds of teams that basically get to bowls by winning games like this. There's not a lot of margin for error if you lose this game, and I think that's certainly true of Indiana. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how it goes. Really appreciate your time, friend, and we'll see you Friday night in Bloomington and enjoy the start of the season. Absolutely. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Zach. Zach Osterman, Indianapolis star. Colin Likas is coming up. I uh, just wanted to mention this at least, Lauren, uh, that the NCAA Today Board of Directors approved those new transfer windows that will go in effect this season for all the sports. For for fall sports like football, there's going to be two periods, which they'd been talking about. A uh, 45-day period will start the day after championship selections are made, and a second portal window May 1st through the 15th. So somewhere in early December through, I guess, the start of the second semester is your portal. So while portal. Those, the Final Four are playing, the people will still be transferring at that point, can begin transferring. Well, well yes, that's the basketball, yes. because Well, that's football, as you just said. Oh, the, yes, the Final Four. You mean the Final Four. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. the Final Four teams in, in the football playoff. Yeah. Why, would they, why wouldn't they wait till it's over? That's just two, just two well, weeks. I think you want to get them – on campus, but they said they'll make exceptions for players in the championship game. But you, school starts; you got to get here if you're going to be enrolled in January to be on a new team. Okay, okay. Basketball will start on Selection Sunday. Once championship selections are made, then there's a 60-day window. So when is Selection Sunday? The what? The second weekend of March, and that'll carry you through the second weekend of May. Make your decisions. Okay.
I don't, get some chatter. I don't get it, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm seeing some chatter that coaches don't like it, but I'm not sure. Well, you know, you're playing games in, this, in the NCAA tournament, and you're having transfers. It's, some of your players may be leaving at that time before the games are played. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe at halftime. Well, that's right. Colin Likas joins us in a moment. With Lauren Tate, up Scott Beatty. Colin Likas now in from the News Gazette Preps Pages, a proud alum of Butler University. So our Indianapolis theme of the day continues. I was just asking off the air, when you were at Butler with the the football place, to, I mean, Butler has a football team, right? Yes, but, they do. Uh, the place to go, though, was, you didn't, did you go down to Hoosier Games? No, I didn't go down to Hoosier Games so much. I had a lot more friends who went to Purdue, who attended Purdue University. So I was, if I was going to go to a football game that wasn't in the Butler Bowl, and that's what I'm calling it, not whatever sponsorship is attached to the Butler Bowl <laughs> nowadays, um, I would go to Ross-Aid Stadium pretty uh could be a pretty fun atmosphere if the team is good. If the team's not good, it's you know it's like any other team that's not it's, very good's atmosphere. It's going to be wild Thursday. Oh yeah, you should think so. Yeah, it's going to be black. Yep, yep. I was Penn there State. for I was there for a Purdue Illinois be a game back in yeah back in 2016 or 17. Josh Ferguson ran wild and Illinois crushed Purdue. Um, yeah, Purdue though is especially under Brom. He likes to have tricks up his sleeve yes. and can really catch. Uh, especially early in the season, can catch somebody off guard. So, uh, and I will laugh if they pick off Penn State. I just will <laughs> laugh. I don't know if that'd be a pickoff. That's a, that's going to be a tough game for Penn State. Purdue has a good time of picking off ranked teams or teams that should be ranked or whatever you want to say. They do. Speaking of rankings, we're going to hear some rankings coming up in the six o'clock hour season debut of the Serve Pro Prep Football Confidential Show, powered by the U of R E R E R O T C. Well done. You got that right. See, so, I do mention sponsors there. You got that right faster than I did trying to do ad reads for it earlier this week. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll unveil our first uh, high school football top ten of the in-season. We had a preseason one, of course, that ran over the course of about two and a half months. Joey, Joey Wright did a great job with that, and he's going to be my co-host and soundboard operator on the show tonight. So we'll revive what we did with our Game of the Week uh, audio uh, broadcast last Friday, which I also think went very well. And mm-hmm. this radio show, a little more familiar with this, I am. Uh, I've done quite a few of these by this point, so not quite as nervous for this as I might have been for uh, <laughs> giving a live broadcast of the Arcola-Tuscola game last week. Yeah, I always feel a little bit of jitters in the first one of the season. Oh, sure. It was uh, Muhammad Seymour's win was impressive over Morton. Yes. They play so many schools outside our area. Mm-hmm. What can you tell me about their possibilities of, of them having a really a uh, top season i mean I, I don't know who the, i don't know the quality of the teams they're playing in mount sure. zion effingham the, all those sure i understand yeah um morton the, who they beat in week one morton was really good last year but they lost quite a bit uh they are not quite up to the standard that they were last year still a quality program i mean a team that could probably grab a playoff spot but not one that's going to make a deep run like they did last year uh they have effingham in week two i've been told effingham is looking up uh they lost their week one game against uh, i believe it was saint Teresa. so i mean that's not a bad loss even though saint Teresa is a smaller school saint Teresa is a loaded smaller school um but i've heard effingham's on the up so that'll be a good test mount zion typically is a good test as well uh but yeah muhammad's schedule is not the strong not it's not as strong as uh, they would probably prefer it to be. Charleston doesn't seem to be especially good. Lincoln is so-so. Bloomington seems like they'll be a so-so non-conference opponent. Quincy Notre Dame lost their first game of the season pretty handily. I know Quincy Notre Dame is typically a good opponent to schedule, but 
Uh, Muhammad beat the tar out of them last year and uh, probably should do a, the same again this year. So, I mean, Muhammad for them, you know, anything less than I would say 8-1 and one at worst would probably be a surprise going into Ooh. the postseason. Um, you know, playing Mount Zion. Mount Zion was a team they only beat by eight last year. That That's probably the game that I would circle as the one that should, could give them the most trouble this year. But Muhammad has high expectations. They kind of, I think, expect to, to run the table in the regular season, even if they won't say it out loud. They might say it out loud, but um, if they don't, I would expect them to. Uh, the quality of opponents, it, it starts strong, kind of dips off a little bit, but you can't necessarily control how your conference looks during during mm-hmm. any given season. Any other goodies on tap coming up at 6? Yeah, uh, we've got uh, Tuscola football coach Andy Romine on to recap a little bit of Cola Wars last week and also look ahead to their Week 2 game against Cumberland. The Tuscola Get Back to the Playoffs Revenge Tour continues. (laughs) Uh, Also going to have uh, Centennial coach Kyle Jackson, whose team dismantled Proviso East last week. Uh, Danville coach Marcus Forrest, whose team picked up a, a nice win over Belleville West. Uh, in Danville that had to be a heck of a bus ride home for the Belleville kids uh, after losing in Danville pretty much the opposite side of the state uh, also going to have three St. Joseph Ogden football players all seniors in here uh, later on so we got a we got a packed show tonight the other football get to give them some love uh, good starts here for Central and Urbana yeah, we're talking soccer, I assume. Yes. Yeah, um, Urbana, uh, obviously coming off a season where the only match they lost last year was a super sectional, so the last game before qualifying for state. They lost almost their entire starting lineup, but uh, they beat normal U-High in their first match of the season, and you would always assume U-High has a, at least a decent program. That's generally what they have in all sports. So a uh, good start for Urbana, looking pretty good. Central returned a lot more of their boys' soccer athletes than Urbana did from last season, so I think we're all kind of looking forward to that time down the road when uh, Central and uh, Urbana play each other. But don't sleep on Muhammad Seymour and boys soccer either because even though a lot of those uh, male athletes over there are playing football, they still have a really good boys soccer team as well. Appreciate it, Colin, and uh, best of luck in the season debut. You can find it right here. You can also find it on our sister station, Light Rock 97.5. It'll be simulcasting so you can hardly get away. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. You do a good good job, and I'm looking forward to it. Appreciate it. We'll come up uh, with our transition to Hour 2 right after this. You're listening to Sports Talk on DWS. Didn't get time, Lauren, to touch on this this hour. I know Evan and I will, but Tony La Russa will be out indefinitely as the manager of the White Sox. Yeah, to get checked out by his doctors. Not clear what's going on. Hopefully he's all right. Yeah. It's a big secret, but uh, it's interesting. He gave a six-minute interview uh, just moments before he announced. they announced in his behalf that he wouldn't be coaching. 77 years old. All right, sir, we'll see you again tomorrow. All righty, be here. That's Lauren Tate. Evan's coming in. Scott Ritchie next hour as well. WDWS Champaign-Urbana.